We're in James chapter 5 today, verses 13 through 18. So if you want to take out your Bible, swipe open your phone, it'll be up on the screen too. But we are coming close to the end of The Awakening, the series that we're in. And I hope that as we finish, you would continue on into some greater awakening with God. And our world is fallen, and things are not the way that they are meant to be. And this world is going to test you and try you, and you will be walking through the fire. And as this happens, you have to understand that there is a cosmic darkness that has taken over our world. And because of that, you need something outside of you to get you through the problems of the day and to get you through the problems of tomorrow. You need something that is greater than you that is outside of this world to come into this world to help give you a bit of hope through it, but also some strength to face whatever trial, suffering, and sickness is before you. In our verses today, James is going to give us three problems that you will face in this life or are facing right now. And they are big problems. Suffering, sickness, and sin. And then James tells you what you have to do about it. And he says, pray. But don't pray alone. Pray with others. And pray with faith. And pray with hope. But pray, because God's hearing you. Pray with a radical trust. This is what you need to walk through this dark world. The mother who prays for her children, there's power in that prayer. The friend who prays for a friend in need, there is power in that prayer. And the discipleship group leader that prays for those in his or her discipleship group, there is power in that prayer. And there is power in the prayer of the one who is sick. And there is power in the prayer of the one who is suffering. And there is power in the prayer of someone, the one who's been so convicted by their sin that they feel the weight of guilt and shame and yet they at the same time turn up to discover a gracious God. And there is power in that prayer. Let me read to you James 5:13 through 18. If anyone among you is there anyone among you suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit." Verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has power. 
So who is this righteous person and what is the power that they get when they pray this prayer? What are they able to accomplish? And is this prayer, this righteous person, is this just reserved for this elite person in faith? And we get our answer, verse 17, where it says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, but he prayed that it would stop raining for three years and six months. There's a reason why he did that. And then he prayed that it would rain again, and it did. So I don't know about you, but I've never experienced praying, God, make it stop raining and it work. And I've never prayed, God, make it rain, and it worked. And I've never prayed, God, will you just move this mountain and throw it into the sea, and it actually work? And if you think about it, if God just gave us that kind of power to pray those kinds of things, you know what we'd be doing, right? We'd be going up to mountains, and we would lift them up with our hands as we pray, and we would throw them into the sea. And, and then our friends would watch us do that, and they would say, oh, yeah? Well, then let me show you this. And we would, they would take this powerful hurricane that comes down upon them and we would be like children showing off our power and it would cause so much chaos in this world the power that comes behind prayer is when your prayers are aligned with god's will god's will and your prayers when they come together that's where the power is The Bible is a book that is teaching us and showing us that God is up to something. And when we see what he is up to, and we pursue it, our prayers begin to line up with his will, and then there's power behind it. It seems that there's more power behind it with just his will alone, but when his will aligns with the prayers of his people, there's even more power to it. So, what is this righteous person? Well, The phrase, this righteous person, this phrase is multi-layered and is multifaceted. So in one sense, a righteous person is someone who's a Christian. They have discovered that their record of rights and wrongs is worthless and it's a bunch of rubbish and what they want to do is throw it in the trash so that they can exchange their record with the record of Christ that is perfect and pure and who Christ who has loved God perfectly and loved people perfectly when you become a Christian the goodness of Christ is clothed over you and when the father sees you he sees you just as if he is seeing his one and only perfect son and that means in your life and at the end of your life when you come up to God the father you come up to him and you you do not carry any record of your own you don't say god look at all the good things i've done you don't say god look at i did this for you you say look at what christ has done for me father and you come to the father like that that is one sense the righteous person Another sense the righteous person is the one who at the end of their life, when God has restored all things, they are perfect and pure and unable to sin. But there's something in the middle, and that's what James is talking about here. And he refers all the way back to this in the beginning of the letter that he's writing to us. And here's what he says, a righteous person is this, someone who takes their faith and stretches it out into all of life. When they feel like, where, God, where have you gone? They go back and they remember when they believed and they take what that feeling was when they believed 
the truth of it, that they just knew it and they bring it up to today. The person who's, the, the righteous person that James is talking about is someone who's taken their faith and applied it in the midst of their suffering, their sickness, and their sin. The person who's taken their heartbreak, their loss, the pain in their life, and they're bringing the truth of their faith into that situation. It's the person who's taking all of their relationships, their friendships, their marriages, their, where they work, and they're bringing their faith into that place, stretched out, a radical reorientation of all of life. So how does the person get this kind of faith that makes them into this righteous person that James is talking about? You don't want to hear it. In order for you to learn how to bring your faith into your suffering, sickness, and sin, you first have to walk through suffering, sickness, and sin and then learn how you bring faith into it. This is the Christian life. How does faith come into every bit and aspect of our life? You have to pass through the fire to see how to apply your faith to the fire. In order to be strong, in order to have strength, you have to face what is required for you to learn how to have faith in the midst of the things that make you feel so weak. Those are the people who have power in their prayers. And these people are special, but they aren't. They have simply faced things and reached in desperation for God. And he strengthened them in the midst of it. They've seen their depravity. And then they have tasted the sweet grace of their Savior. They've walked through sickness and they have found out that there is a spiritual health that is much greater than any physical sickness. And they have walked through trials and they have been knocked down on their backs and they have found a God who has come and lifted them up and helped them face the fiery trials and helped them walk through it and have come out on the other side realizing that God is making them into a masterpiece very slowly. And they're coming out with these beautiful scars. Most people want the power of prayer which, w- without what is required to get it. And again, this is not you mustering up the strength. There's a temptation for us to hear that and say, okay, this is up to me. No, it's for you to realize you cannot do this and you begin reaching for someone outside of this earth, someone outside of you to give you the strength to face what is before you. And this person who has faced these difficulties, they have realized that their will and God's will is much different because their will is that God would just go ahead and heal them. Their will is that God would just go ahead and do away with the suffering. Their will is that they would just stop the sinning over and over and over again. But they've also realized through it, well, God's will is a little bit different. And what God wants is for you to face what is before you. And learn how to draw from him in his strength, not your own. They have seen now how God brings beauty up out of the ashes. 
And then they have this new mindset that God is always up to something. And he's always bringing beauty up out of the ashes. So when something is happening that I don't understand, one, I've got to trust him, but two, I can seek out what his will is to try to understand it, and I can try to get my prayers to line up with it. And they always will line up with God's will if you will pray that God will give you strength to face what is ever before you. And it isn't that these people who have found this faith that has been stretched out into all areas of life, it's not that they're superhuman. In fact, it's the exact opposite. They realize that they are subhuman. That not only has our world fallen, but they, we, have fallen. We are not who we're meant to be. There's a version of you that is much greater than the version that you are right now. And when you realize that, then you start reaching for Him. And He starts giving you the strength to face the problems of the day. And when you do that, it's like He's making you more into who you're made to be. Becoming more into the human you're meant to be. Until you've reached the version of you you're meant to be in paradise. It says Elijah had a nature just like ours. He was aware that he was subhuman. He didn't trust God always. He was fearful of people. But in a moment of clarity, he reached for God. And so that means when suffering comes into your life, when sickness comes into your life or someone you love, or you become very aware of your sin, you have to understand that God is up to something that you do not understand. So it means that you pray. That God would use the thing that you're walking through to make you stronger. And it might not be pretty, but in the end, you realize God is making you and has made you into a masterpiece. In Psalm 126, it says that we will cry these tears, but our tears that have fallen to the earth will be sown and we will reap joy, which means that when you walk through the pain and suffering and the sickness and sin, you're going to be weeping, but don't waste the tears. Let them fall, and as they fall, you pray, and when you pray, those tears that have fallen are sown to the earth, and then God brings up growth in your life, so much so that you're even able to have joy, so you can't waste your tears. And you will always waste them if you do not accompany your pain, your sickness, your suffering, and your sin with prayer. You, know, you sin and you want to run from God. And those are the exact moments you ought to be running to Him. When you sin and you run away from God, you're not sowing the tears that are coming. So you sin and you run right to God. And He brings growth. But if you run from Him, then you become less human. More and more. But if you run to Him you become more of who you're meant to be. The kingdom of God coming on the earth is a product of tears that have been shed with prayer that raises up the kingdom of God in our hearts and in the world around us. And I look out at you, us together, we've walked through pain, we've walked through sickness, suffering, and sin, 
And I have seen and you have seen God bring beauty up out of the ashes. Some of you aren't experiencing that yet, but it is to come because God's made a promise that he will do that. He's in the business of bringing beauty up out of the ashes. And you guys have walked through us with me and Elise, my wife, as we've walked through sickness with our son, not really knowing what in the world is happening to him. And it wasn't pretty for us. I mean, we stumbled big time. But you guys were there, and God has brought beauty out of it. It's hard to see sometimes. So when suffering and trial comes, when pain and heartbreak and loss, whatever it is, sickness, whatever's coming at you, don't waste the tears, don't waste the pain, don't waste the suffering, don't waste the sickness, but accompany all of those things with prayer, and God will do great work. But you can't go it alone. This is the second thing James wants us to know, is that we have to pray with our friends. It says that the prayers of a righteous friend will be what rescues you. The prayers of your parents, the prayers of your kids for you, the prayers of your friends for you, the prayers of your leaders for you. If you're sick, the prayers might produce healing, it says, but it also might not. Depends what God is up to. Your friends are there to pray for you, to be healed from whatever is before you. But if you are not, they are there to walk with you through it. And also they are there to fight for you, to reach out to God so he might strengthen you for whatever you're going through. And it also means you need to become the type of person that prays for your friends. Praying for your family, your kids as they're facing trials. You know, I think as parents... Especially in our culture today, we want to protect our kids. Our kids are so protected. Like, we're desperate for them to be protected. We want this, like, hedge around them that nothing bad can happen to them. And we protect them in all ways. And when we pray, we say, God, please don't let them go through something. And you know what God wants? God wants them to be strong and brave and courageous, which means they've got to face some difficulties. And as they face those difficulties, you are there as a parent to help them reach with faith, being stretched out into whatever they're going through to reach for God, so that they are then strengthened. Producing children who are brave and courageous, who have learned how to fail well, who have learned when they sin, they don't run away from God, but they run right towards Him because He's gracious. And then the same thing in your discipleship groups. Are your discipleship groups, the groups that you're in with people, are they a reflection of this being true in your life? Or like, are you opening up the Bible, which is great, keep opening up the Bible, but does it end there, just understanding what the Bible's saying? Or are you being real with people and saying, this is what's going on in my life. It's too much for me. I need you to pray for me. Ladies, you're a lot better at this than men are. Men, we need to get better at being real with our friends about what's going on in our life and let them pray for us. It's not meant, we're not meant to go it alone. And then when somebody in your group 
is real. Pray fervently for them as it says to do. And let your leaders pray for you in your groups. And, and let people know what's going on in your life if you're facing a difficulty. Because so many times I find out too late somebody's been going through a difficulty and they've already gone through it. I'm like, well, I was here. Like, this is what the church is for. I do not have a special device that connects me right to God to know when something is going on in your life. You have that special device. It's called a mouth, and you have to tell me when something's going on. And then we get to this sin part. We see how our sin is brought together with confession of our sin, and then this part where we're healed by those things happening. So let's get into what this means. Uh, now, I don't want you to get too caught up in this, this, this need to confess your sins to your friends, because I know what that feels like, and it's very difficult, and it's terrifying to do. So just in general, start off and just say, hey, I'm, I'm sinning, and I'm not stopping, so if you can pray for me, that would be awesome. But there is something about confessing your sins that is relieving the weight is lifted. Why? Because people see you. They really see you. And they still love you. And that feels pretty good. And then it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean a lot of things. First, it could mean that when you confess your sin and to someone and they pray for you and you are healed, it's a spiritual healing. But it also could be a physical healing. Now, I want to be careful here because some of you right now are thinking, well, I'm sick or I'm suffering. Is, is, is this a result of my sin? Well, it could be. You don't know. So, so there's a place where Jesus is, is uh, he's, he's about to heal a blind man. And someone says, is this man born blind because of, because of his parents' sin, or is he blind because of his sin? And Jesus says, it's neither. It's not because of sin. It's so that the glory of God might be revealed. There's another place where Jesus heals people and says, your sins are forgiven, and because their sins are forgiven, they're healed. So why? What's happening? Well, four things. If you're sick, if you're suffering, if you're going through something, why is it? Well, one, it could be through the glory of God. I know that might not make sense to you if you're going through that, but this is the beauty coming out of the ashes. And then two, it could be because of sin in your life. Three, it could be just because you're in a broken and fallen world and life in this world produces sickness and suffering and pain and loss and heartbreak. Or... It's always this. The fourth thing is that if you will accompany it with prayer, God will bring transformation into your life. Now, whatever that does to you as far as your sickness goes, well, God is good and you have to trust him. Whatever your suffering is, God is good. You have to trust him. When Cruz was sick, our son, we searched, like, God, is this because of sin in our life? We got no answer. We don't, we don't know. So we don't know. So what we confessed all, all, all of our sin and he still remained sick and so that's kind of an answer. But we just don't know. And then there's this last part that's very strange for us today. It talks about leaders anointing people with oil 
in praying for the sick. This is a bit debated. What does this mean, anointing with oil? And the reason is because it's so far removed from our culture today. So let me just hover over the debate about this and just tell you what, it, what it's probably getting at. By anointing someone with oil, what James is saying is set them apart for some special event where they are being prayed for before God. They're being separated from the world. They're being separated from everything else just to be there with God and for people to plead for God to do something in their life. Now, you can think of it like this. Sometimes when you're celebrating people, you cheers. You hold up your glasses and you say cheers. That sounds like a good thing for us to do in our culture. But in 2,000 years from now, it could be that people look back and say, you know those people back then, they would hold up their glass and say cheers. That was really weird. And we today say, well, why would they think that's weird? Well, I don't know, but we think it's weird that people were anointing people with oil. Because we don't understand it. Because for their culture, that was a very natural thing to do. The same way our culture, it's a very natural thing to do to raise your glasses and say cheers. And Jesus knew very well that this anointing was important. To be set apart, that is. That's the point of anointing with oil, is for someone to be set apart. It doesn't mean that they have to be anointed with oil. It means that something special is happening where God is getting involved and we are bringing this person to God. Now, Jesus understands this very well because he was anointed before he died. A woman came and anointed him. And he said, this is a great thing that you have done for me. You've set me apart. To be holy means to be set apart. You've set me apart for what I'm about to do. What was he about to do? He was about to be set apart to deal with suffering, sickness, and sin. On the cross, he became the Lamb of God that was set apart to fight against everything that's wrong with this world, all suffering, all sickness, all sin. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus pray exactly the way that we ought to pray. He says these words, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Now what's the cup? The cup is sickness and suffering and sin. He's drinking the cup and he's saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, but whatever your will is, I'm ready to do it. Exactly how we should be praying. And so there he goes to the cross and he drinks the cup. He drinks it all of sickness, suffering, and sin, so that you now, when you face sickness, suffering, and sin, it doesn't take you to the end of it, which is death. But it transforms you. Because by faith, in the resurrection, the resurrection that rose him up from that death, you are given that same strength that he had that conquered the grave. And even if suffering, sickness, and sin takes you all the way till its end, which is death, you even become more transformed, entering into glory. So suffering, sickness, and sin can do nothing but transform you if you go to God in prayer and by faith cling to the one who has 
gone into death and come up out of it. And as he came up out of it, now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he's doing? He's orchestrating your life so that beauty always comes up out of the ashes. And he has made a promise that one day he will return and do away with all sickness, suffering, and sin. But until that day, do not waste your tears. Because these tears that you shed are being shed because of this broken and fallen world. Because of evil in this world. But watch what happens. Every tear that you shed because of this broken world falls down to the earth. But it is sowed with faith and with prayer so that then it rises up. And then over time long enough, the kingdom of God pushes out anything that has to do with this fallen world until the kingdom of God has taken over. So don't waste your tears. It could be the most productive thing in your life. The sickness, the pain, and the suffering could bring you to Him and cause the beauty to come up out of the ashes. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people who do not waste their tears. God, I pray for those in this place who are experiencing suffering, sickness, and sin, and shame and guilt for that sin. And God, I pray that they would not waste what is happening, but desperately go to you and see those tears sown so that something beautiful comes out. Help us do this, God. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the best ways for us to be real with our sickness and our suffering and our sin is through communion, through the Lord's Supper. Because this is a display of not only what happens to Christ, but a display of what happens to us in the end when we pass through sickness, suffering, and sin. This is a sweet, very sweet time for your faith to be strengthened. And what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm too weak to do this on my own, so I need to be nourished by you. And I need to remember all the promises that you've made to me because I'm forgetting them. And I don't think I've got what it takes to get through. And, and that's a great thing because you don't. And that's a great thing to come to grips with because now finally you're going to reach for a Savior. And so when you come up to partake in this, every step is a step of faith saying, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. So I'm going to tell you what happens the night before Jesus was betrayed by even a close friend of his. Um, but before I do, here's what we do right now. So we have these little cups. It's a little tricky, but you open it up and there's a wafer in there and then you open up another layer and there's the juice. Um, so, Well, you'll figure it out. So... Here's how it happened for Jesus. He's with his friends. 
in a room having a meal with them, his close friends. And he wants to show them what's about to happen to him. What he's going to do to do away with sickness, suffering, and sin. So what he does is he takes bread and he says, this is my body that's been broken for you. Take and eat, be nourished. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's poured out. But he drinks it. So that sickness, suffering, and sin will not be your end, but will actually be the beginning of the story of you and God. So let's stand up. We're going to sing. And I'm going to pray. And I don't want you guys to feel... We've got a whole song here so that everyone doesn't have to come rushing up. Whenever you feel led, just come on up. Uh, And there's gluten-free bread for those who need it in the baggies. So, Father, we pray that you would be with us. That you would hear our cries. You would hear our pain. You would hear the suffering that we're going through. You would hear the loss and the heartbreak that we've experienced You would hear us cry out being just so aware of the sin in our life and feeling this guilt and shame and that you would answer us with forgiveness and relief and trust and a strength that comes only from you to face the problems of the day and the problems of tomorrow. We need you, God. Help us know that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.